want to be very careful in my comments, but I believe God has once again caused this area to be ripe for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I believe God has been working with Grace Church for a long time, and uh, I believe we are closer to that advent uh, happening than we've ever been. Uh, God has set this church up to experience a phenomenal move of the Holy Ghost, but it's not just limited to the church here, it's to this whole area. And I want our church to be sensitive to it. I'm thankful that God would include us in His plan. Uh, we say around here all the time, God has a plan, it's huge, and I'm in it. And we are in it. And, uh, but I want us to be made aware today that the dynamic of Grace Church could be changing huge in the next coming weeks and months. Um, with growth, uh, I'm thankful we have some things in place that can help accommodate that. But our biggest problem is going to be space. But God will work it out. He's going to work it out. And everybody said amen. I'm speaking very matter of fact here this morning. And uh, I believe God has got some great things in store for this area. And he's going to use Grace Church as a conduit to make that happen. I want to call your attention today to John chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. Most of you will be familiar with this reading. I'm going to read lengthy here this morning. I'm going to read about 35 verses. But I want you to get the context of this scripture reading. And he, Jesus, left Judea and departed into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. Keep in mind that the Jews hated the Samaritans. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, a woman of Samaria, a Samaritan, to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She's admitting and facing the prejudice, the bias, the, the hatred, and what have you. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to thee, Give me to drink, you would ask of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep from whence thou that living water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever shall drink of this water will thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up in everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, You well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom thou uh, now hast is not thine husband, and that said thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes that you will neither, and, and this, you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. 
We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said unto Him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When He is come, He'll tell us all these things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. And upon this, upon this scene, upon this situation, upon what just happened, came his disciples, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why do you talk with her? The woman then left her water pot, went on her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? And they went into the city and came unto him. And in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat you know not of. Therefore, saith to the disciples, or said the disciples one another, Hath man brought him ought to eat? And Jesus said unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then comes a harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields. For they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth, reapeth, receives wages. And he that gathereth food unto life eternal. And both he that soweth and reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is the, the saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. I sent you to reap that whereon. You have bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. It's a lengthy reading, but I want to preach to you today from a very motivated heart. I'm just going to title this simply, A Sovereign Move of God. A Sovereign Move of God. Everybody say thank God for the Word. Thank you for your patience and standing. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to acquaint you just briefly before I get into my message this morning that a sovereign move of God is kind of a hard thing to define. I'm going to just say it real simply uh, this morning. And I'm not necessarily preaching to a person, not necessarily preaching to a group of people. I'm preaching to Grace Church. I'm preaching to our community this morning. And I'm thankful this is going out on live stream. It's going out into the airwaves. Uh, I want the spirit world to hear what I'm preaching today. But a sovereign move of God, bottom line, is a move of God where He will accomplish a certain purpose regardless of what man has done or not. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example. I've known people, I've born and raised in Pentecostal, I've known people all of my life who prayed and fasted, prayed and fasted literally all of their lives for certain things to happen, and it never happened. doesn't mean it never will, but it never happened in their lifetime. But on the other hand, I've known of people that hardly ever pray and fast, and there's a move of God in their life where there was no preparation through prayer and fasting. I've also known of areas and communities where we would think from observant that there was no real aggressive actions on the part of the church 
to really sow anything into that community. And there's this mighty revival. There's this great move of God. I'm going to prove to you today in Scripture that there is a such thing as a sovereign move of God that has nothing to do with what we're doing or what we are not doing. God can choose to move irregardless. And I can, I'm going to give you some situations in a moment. But I will tell you today that there were at least seven sovereign moves of God in the book of Acts. I'm going to share with you today too. Where I don't read where there was any preparation in the areas where this move of God happened. But what God did have was men and women postured and ready to work with the circumstance that the sovereign move of God caused. I'm simply saying here this morning that I have witnessed at least two what I believe to be a sovereign move of God in this greater Baton Rouge area in my lifetime, and I will not be any more specific than that, but I have witnessed at least two. The difficulty with the sovereign move of God where we come in is what do we do with it after it happens? I've seen a lot of churches, for example, experience a mighty sovereign move of God and churches break out in revival and growth and what have you. But it seems that the difficulty comes in maintaining the byproduct or the fruit of that sovereign move of God. I'm going to ask Grace Church here this morning to get your head around what I'm about to preach. I'm asking all of you to unify. I'm asking our ministers. I'm going to be uh, specific and say at least our card-carrying ministers to get on board with me with this message. I'm going to ask our serve team leaders to get on board with me with this message. Um... I believe, I know in my spirit it's been affirmed now several times, but I really felt it strong this year that where we've experienced great growth in the past number of months, it's about to become exponential. There's just something moving in, the, in, the, in God's world uh, for this area, and I want us to be open to it. <clears throat> so this is a very exciting and a very sobering concept. And it's imperative that Grace Church get its head around it. Are we willing, are you and I willing, to reap the harvest that God wants to give? Listen to me today. When a farmer, it's great to see Brother Tommy Goins here today, and I'm very thankful for that. But uh, he used to be a farmer. But I can promise you, he did not plant what he was not willing to reap. Whatever it was that he planted, whether it was soybeans or sugar cane or corn, whatever it was, he was prepared to reap it. Not only was he prepared to reap what he sowed, but he was prepared to reap the quantity that he sowed. So if he only had the equipment and the the labor force to help him reap a thousand acres of crop he wasn't going to sow five thousand acres of crop everybody on board with that it's not that hard just want to make sure you're on board 
What I've come to learn is not only can God sow, this is part of a sovereign move of God, but I've learned a long time ago that God doesn't always sow what we want to reap. We don't always care for the people that God fills with the Holy Ghost. Whether it's racial divide, whether it's sexual orientation divide, whether it's the past and who they were before they came to God, etc. Pentecostals aren't always as open-minded as they seem. They like to kind of help God. They like to direct God on what kind of seed He's sowing before we agree to, agree to reap to the harvest. Y'all's silence is making me a little nervous. <clears throat> but the other thing about what God sows is we never understand and we, He don't always tell us the quantity. So where we think, as of like last year, and even part of this year, I'm like, God, you know, if you send us like 10, 20 brand new people, we can handle it. And God says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you 65, how about that? So not only did I not know who was coming, neither did I know how many. Are y'all on board? I'm not preaching over your head, am I? All right. So here's, here, here we go this morning. So let me ask the question again. Are we willing to reap the harvest that God has sown? That is, in what kind of people and how many people? Are we willing to accept and receive a sovereign move of God here at Grace Church? I give a resounding yes, we are. We're cool with it. Amen. Praise God. So I know we reap what we sow, but are we willing to reap what God has sown? You need to hear the rest of the message before you totally get on board with this. So let's begin this morning with Peter's quote of Joel chapter 2. All of us can probably quote Joel chapter 2, but Peter quoted it in Acts chapter 2 when they said they were all amazed, the Bible said, and were in doubt saying one to another, what meaneth this? This was right after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. And said unto them, you men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day, about nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he begins to quote Joel chapter 2 right here. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, it shall come to pass. It don't matter how much praying and fasting you do or don't do. Huh? It's coming. I keep hearing somebody say that. It's coming. It's coming. It shall come to pass in the last day, saith God. This is Peter quoting Joel. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall dream dreams, and your old men shall, uh, shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Excuse me. And upon my servants, and upon my handmaidens, Will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Joel said, as Peter correctly quoted, it shall come to pass. This is a sovereign move of God. 
our world in the last days is going to experience an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. After the punishment of the Jews at the hands of the Babylonians, the Grecians, the Persians, and Rome between the Old and New Testament, and their deliverance, and after the coming of the teacher of righteousness, which is Christ, the Messiah, was to follow an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. God said, upon all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. One commentator said, this which he says on all flesh admits of no exception, no exception of nations or persons. Whether we like them or not, there's no exception of nations or persons. For before Jesus was glorified, he poured out of his spirit or anointing only on the sons of Zion. And out of that nation only were there prophets and wise men. But after he was glorified by his resurrection and ascension, he made no difference. He made no difference of Jews and Gentiles. But will that remission of sin should be preached to everyone alike. This is a sovereign move of God. All flesh is indicated here. It's the name of all mankind. So in the time of Noah's flood, it is said all flesh had corrupted his way. The end of all flesh is become before me, God said. In Moses' time, he asked, Who of all flesh hath heard the voice of the Lord God as we have and lived? Job said, In whose hand is the breath of all flesh of man? David said, Thou that hearest prayer to these shall all flesh come. Let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. In much the same way speaks Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. All flesh does not include every individual in the race, but it includes the whole race, the individuals throughout it, in every nation, sex, condition, Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian, meaning the educated, the uneducated, the rich, the poor, the bond, the free, the male and the female. As all were to be one in Christ Jesus, so on all was to be poured out the Holy Ghost. This is a sovereign move of God. The names of our nature from that which is the lowest in it. That is the flesh with the same condescension with which it is said the Word was made flesh from which from where we speak of the incarnation of Christ Him taking on our flesh He humbled Himself to take our flesh. He came as our physician to heal our flesh, the seat of our concupiscence or lust. He does not say that we will pour out graces or gifts, ordinary or extraordinary. He did not say he would pour out influences or communications or the like. He says, I will pour out of my spirit. It is said on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. But the gift of the Holy Ghost was God. God Himself. As it has just been said, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them that heard the word. No created being, no angel nor archangel could dwell in the soul of mankind. Only God alone can be poured out into the soul so as to possess it, enlighten it, 
teaching it, teach it, kindle it, bend it, and move it as he wills to sanctify, satisfy, and fill it. This my spirit, God said, I will pour. I will give largely as though he would empty out himself who is infinite so that there should be no measure of his giving save our capacity of receiving it. But the total concept of all flesh, the total concept of all flesh wasn't really sinking in, kind of like this morning. It can be all flesh as long as we Jews can still play a significant role in the selection process. The Jews was good with the next part of the quote, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What parent would not be happy about that? So you notice, you know, as long as God is pouring out of His Spirit on our kids, our family, our race, and people we like and approve of, then so be an outpouring of the Spirit. But this statement cannot limit what he has just said, that God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. He gives instances of that outpouring and the miraculous gift, which were at the first to be the evidence of His inward presence. The gift of His Spirit was at the first bestowed on the Jews only. The highest were reserved altogether for them. Jews only were employed as apostles and evangelists. Jews only wrote by inspiration of God, the oracles of God, as a source of faith of the whole world. The apostles were the sons of Israel, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the other women who abode at the same time and prayed with the apostles were all daughters of Israel. But now notice, this is where it begins to become a challenge to the Jewish people, and this is where it will become a challenge to some of us. God also said in Joel 2.29, and Peter quoted it, he said, my servants and my handmaidens. These are people who are owned by other people. These are people who are owned like you own your home, like you own your car, like you own your pet. These are people who are owned. God has already promised that he would be a re- no respecter of persons. He had said that he would endow with his power, every age and sex. But now he adds here every condition, even that of slaves, both male and female. Under the law of Moses, God had provided for slaves that even they, if they were aliens or foreigners, they should by circumcision be enrolled in his family and people, that they should have the rest and the devotion of the Sabbath. They should share uh, the joy of the great festivals going up with their masters and mistresses to the place where God appointed. They were included in one common ordinance of joy, the Bible said. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, and literally your men slaves and your women slaves, and the Levite which is in your gates. And the times before the gospel they doubtless fell under the contempt in which the Pharisees held at all the less educated class, these people who knoweth not the law. Are cursed, the Pharisees said. Whence it was a saying of theirs, prophecy does not reside except on one wise and mighty and rich. And then elsewhere where it was given as a mark of the gospel. But Jesus said, the poor shall have the gospel. 
preached unto them, meaning that they were not educated enough to get it on their own. It was not what the Jews of his day expected, for he says on the servants too will I pour out of my spirit. The prophetic word circles around to that where it began, the all-containing promise of the large outpouring of the Holy Ghost from God Himself and that upon those whom the carnal Jews would at least would least expect to receive it. It began with including the Gentiles. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And then it ends by resting on the slaves. And these two in those days will I pour out of my Spirit. So the order of the words is significant. He begins... God begins, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then in order to leave the mind resting on these same great words, he inverts the order and and, and at the end of it it says, upon the servants and upon the handmaidens, I will pour out of my spirit. And he leaves the thoughts resting on those great words, I will pour out of my spirit. Peter, in declaring that these words began to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, he quotes Joel with, couple of little differences he said Joel said I will pour out my spirit or I will pour out my spirit Peter said I will pour out of my spirit upon my servants and my handmaidens the words declare something in addition but does not alter the meaning it just kind of drives it even further home The words, I will pour out my spirit, expresses the very largeness and fullness of the gift of God, who is very God, unchangeable and infinite, who is given given and poured out, not by change of place, but by largeness of His presence. The words, I will pour out of my spirit, expresses to us that He who is infinite cannot be contained by us who are finite. Again, the words, the servants and handmaidens, make the outward condition. But the words, my servants and my handmaidens, declare that there's no difference between bond and free in the sight of God. The servants and handmaidens should have that highest title of honor, that they should be the servants of God, for what more can the creature desire? So let me hurry on to my point here this morning. That was my introduction. Let me hurry on to my point. I want to ask our theologians here today, who prepared Samaria for that great sovereign move of God in Acts chapter 8? Who went, Brother Wheeler, for months and months and taught Bible studies and went door to door, knocking doors and inviting people to church? Who did that? What church group did some praying and fasting for the Samaritans? I, I, could, I, could, I, th- I think I could safely say this morning, I don't know from the Jewish people if the Samaritans had ever been prayed for. You study the history. As a matter of fact, history records, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the Philip thing, but I want to establish the city of Samaria first. When, when, when Jesus went to Samaria, I want you to understand what happened to Samaria. This does not mean a city whose name was Samaria, for no such city at that time existed. Samaria was a region. It really didn't have a parameter. It didn't have a a country line around it, a demarcation. It was just a region of people. It's kind of referring to a particular part of Baton Rouge. You could say South Baton Rouge. You could say North Baton Rouge. It's just a region. Who knows what the total limitation of it? It was a region. 
The ancient city Samaria, the capital of that region of the Old Testament, had been destroyed so completely as to leave no vestige of it remaining. Uh, the, the army took, a, took away all vestige of, of proof or evidence that the a city of Samaria even existed according to Josephus. It, it marks that there had never even been a city there. These people were so obliterated. They were so hated and completely obliterated. The people destroying them thought there were no Samaritans left on the planet. It was, they thought, total and complete Samaritan genocide until Jesus met a woman at the well. And Jesus said to her, The hour comes, and now is when true worshipers. That means anybody who worships God the way he desires to be worshipped. Anybody. He said, the hour is now come. We read it in John chapter 4, and I fast forward a few more verses down. When the disciples walked up on Jesus talking to this hated woman, who came at the sixth hour of the day, which was noontime, and it was too hot to draw water at that time of the day. They always came in the morning, but she wasn't welcome with the Jewish women to draw water. She had to come later. So to the disciples, Jesus was asked of them, what are you doing talking to her? You know you're not supposed to be talking to her. I'm preaching to Grace Church this morning the best I can. We, 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 We have some work to do on our mentality if we want what God has. And there's a difference between what God has and what we want God to have. It's a difference between the two. Okay, let's continue. So he told his disciples, yet four months in comes the harvest. He said the fields are white right now. Not only was it not time for harvest, but Jesus wasn't talking about a natural harvest. He was looking at a race of people who were ripe for a sovereign move of God. So in Acts chapter 8, God forgive me now, he couldn't find a preacher to go. And I'm going to give them credit. Maybe they were too busy working with the, the Jewish people in the Jerusalem church. But he didn't necessarily find a preacher to go, but he found a deacon, a board member. Ooh, if you can get a board member involved in evangelism, whoo! That don't apply to Grace Church, by the way. I'm just saying that in general. Because our words have, they have, absolutely. So God finds a board member and sends him off to Samaria, and he starts preaching. And you know the story, and I'm off my notes. You folks do your best you can in the back. I'm off my notes probably for the rest of the time. He starts preaching to these hated people. And Philip's eyes began to be opened. He becomes this receptacle without question, without fear, without worrying about what people are going to think of him. These people start responding to him, and the Spirit of God starts moving, and he gets nervous, and it, it, it literally... Brother Steve, it goes exponential. These, the whole place is coming out to hear what 
Philip is having to say, I mean, maybe he thought it'd be two or three in the home Bible study. I hope somebody's hearing me today. And it starts steamrolling on him, and he don't know what to do, and he don't know how to handle it. So he sends word back to Jerusalem, and a couple of the apostles come, and they start preaching. And Samaria and the Samaritans start experiencing an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But the apostles began to see what a sovereign move of God was. They were all thrilled about a sovereign move of God on the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost, and they were cool with that. But they had to go to the next level and understand that God had some more people he was going to include in his purpose and in his process on this on this planet and they had to be open to it and I thank God they were I thank God they were they baptized them by the hundreds and they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost it's a sovereign move of God is everybody on board with this Let me ask some of you today, how many of you were really invited to Grace Church? If you weren't invited by somebody here, what are you doing here then? Brother Wheeler, I never heard you say so-and-so invited you to Grace Church. So what are you doing here? Anybody invite you to Grace Church? It just popped up. It just popped up. So if you weren't invited, what are you doing here? I could go up one side of this building down the other. God's been talking to me about this, and I'm not playing. There's people here today. I didn't invite you. I didn't know you was wanting to come. I would have. If you'd have called and said, hey, I want to come, would you invite me? But I didn't know. But you showed up. Why are you here? What brought you here? Does anybody hear me today? Huh? Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Why are you here? What brought you here? The good book said, and Jesus said it, and I... If I be lifted up. You want to know why we promote Jesus around here? You want to know why we promote worship? And we're so careful about worship. And we want our attitude about worship. Jesus mentioned it to the Samaritan woman. We're true worshipers. Start worshiping. You've got a sovereign move of God coming behind it. It's the byproduct of worship. I'm here to preach to Grace Church today. That God is setting us up. And there's going to be people walking the door that you didn't invite. You didn't teach them a Bible study. You didn't tell them nothing about Jesus. But they're coming. Why? It's because there's a sovereign move of God in the air. Oh my! All right. Let's roll on. You know, Peter's feeling pretty cool about himself that he lowered himself. As a member of Jewish society, this hoity-toity apostolic, one of the first to ever receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, condescended into the depths of the lowest human estate and went to Samaria and preached the gospel. It's interesting to me 
Two chapters later, the esteemed apostle who argued with Jesus on every term but now is is seemingly accepting the terms, now the apostle has been invited to somebody's house for lunch. And while they're fixing dinner, and I find this very rude, but I guess it was Jewish custom, lunch wasn't ready when he got there. So he went upstairs and took a nap. I'm on very real quick because I'm out of time. So while he was sleeping, he had a vision. He had it three times. I can mark three moves of the Holy Ghost in this area. I'll just throw that out there. We'll talk about it later. But God told him three times. As this sheet was being lowered down out of heaven, full of all manner of unclean beasts, you know the story. God told him to get up and eat. Peter, after just rubbing shoulders with all these Samaritan people, had the audacity to tell God, no unclean thing has ever touched my lips. Well, what have you been doing in Acts chapter 8, son? Now, you're not eating pork, but you're hanging out with the Samaritans. I could go a long time on that point right there with us and our holiness standards and what we'll do and what we won't do when it comes to people because of it. Another sermon for another time. My holiness standards won't let me condescend to the lowest state of a sinner. Was that long enough preaching on that point? I can go on. Did y'all get the point? I die. I talked to a man yesterday, and some of you folks here today know what I'm talking about. Talked to him for a long I wasn't going to be rude, but buddy, his appearance just made me real uncomfortable. Real uncomfortable. But I talked to him. I talked to him. Now, anybody could say that I'm hanging out with that dude, and I'm whatever with that dude. No, I'm not. I was just trying to be a kind Christian man. That's all I was trying to do. Enough said. Let's move on. I'm out of time. So Peter's having this standoff with God. God won't even get up meat, and he don't want to eat. And so finally God gets through. Wish if I had time, I'd go through all the verses. But you know the story. While God is messing around with Peter while he's napping, he's also fooling around with a man named Cornelius, who is probably a Roman, who is a Gentile. And the Jews hated those people. But a lot of people believe Cornelius was a Jewish convert. He had converted to the law of Moses and heard about the Holy Ghost, and he wanted that too. And so God tells him to go to the house of one named Simon and ask for a man named Peter. And he's rattling the gate, and Peter's upstairs going round and round with God. He bottom line comes downstairs. He witnesses to the man, starts preaching to him and the people that are with him. And the Bible said in Acts chapter 10 that the group of people in that house were amazed, they were amazed that God would give these Gentile people the Holy Ghost. Couldn't believe it. That God would dirty himself. That God would contaminate himself by filling people, these people, with the Holy Ghost. I'm closing this morning. I'm not nearly finished, but I'm closing. I'm out of time. I had lunch with a pastor friend several weeks ago. And he's having an amazing move of God in his church, and I'm not going to go into it. But just suffice to say that there's a young lady started coming to their church who was gang-raped by five men and left for dead. 
After that, she did not speak. A word out of her mouth, nothing verbal, came out of her mouth because of shock and horror and pain. Can't imagine. Let me keep moving. Uh, she didn't speak. They found out later she had not spoken for three years. Not a single word. Her therapist, rehabilitation places, whatever, finally gave her an iPod, and she just kept earplugs in her ears all the time. Wouldn't say a word to anybody. Well, this pastor friend has a little bus that goes by this rehabilitation clinic, and they pick people up and bring them to church. And one Sunday, uninvited, uninvited, this speechless person gets on the bus, comes to that church, sits in the very back, a chair reserved for ushers, sign over says reserved for ushers. She sits there with her earbuds in her ear, her arms, from her wrist to her shoulders is nothing but scars where she has cut herself to try to somehow compensate and, and, and mitigate the pain that's on the inside of her. After three months of sitting there, they'd speak to her, she wouldn't say nothing. One Sunday, who knows what happened? I know what happened. It's called a sovereign move of God. She stood up, put her hands in the air, closed her eyes, and then when church was over, she didn't say nothing. When church was over, she approached the pastor first words out of her mouth to their knowledge in three years she said I want to be baptized in Jesus name now some of us probably would be a little bit appalled by her appearance no, I'm not going to go into that but she didn't look like the model person you'd want in your church but the good pastor took her up baptized her when she came out of the water she was speaking in tongues a week later a week later she walked up to her pastor she was wearing a sleeveless she's brand new she's wearing just a little sleeveless shirt and she held out her arms and she said look pastor I haven't cut myself in seven days you know what happened nobody knocked on her door Nobody even talked to her because everybody around her knew she wouldn't say nothing back. So what's the use? She used to fool with that girl. She's messed up in the head. But God had a plan. And because of a move of the Holy Ghost, this uninvited person went to that church and God filled her up with the Holy Ghost. She was baptized and God washed away all of our sin. Grace Church, I'm asking you today, with everything in me. Get your head around this. When God said He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh, that includes the people you don't like. It, it could include your ex-spouse that you don't like. It could include your kids that are incarcerated. It could include anybody. It does include everybody. And a part of this whole mix is if God will move on those people and bring them to His house and pour out His Spirit on them, what then should be our posture? Stand with me this morning. What should be our posture when they come? I want to say very boldly here this morning, grace is, grace is a place of hope, healing, and restoration. Yes, it is. There's people sitting in this building right now, and there's some that are part of this church that are not here today that have done some grievous things in their past history. 
things that, as far as I'm concerned, you'll never know. But I can tell you this, I've watched them come and sob and cry at this altar and watch God forgive them. So what is our posture when these people come and God pours out His Spirit on them? What do we do? We open our arms and we love them. That's what we do. So I, I get it this morning. I, I get it. It's a real unusual message. And folks like cotton candy and all that, and we do that sometimes. But I want us to have some soul searching here this morning. And I need to do this. I need, I need to know this as pastor. If you're on board for reaping a harvest that God is sending. Loving the people that He's going to send. You don't know them yet, and God only knows who they are. But when they walk in the door, we're going to love them. We're going to love them. We're going to love them. Glad to say this morning to every person in this building, God loves you more than you can imagine. But I want to know this morning, if you'll receive them, if you'll receive them, whoever they are, I need to know how you feel this morning, Grace Church. As they begin to sing, if you're willing to be open-hearted, would you come? If you're willing to be open-minded, would you come? If you're willing, I don't want anybody to ever say, that I'm not sure I can invite so-and-so to Grace Church because I don't know how Grace Church would feel about them. I want you to know that doesn't exist. We're going to do our best to love people. We're going to do our best to be kind to people. We're going to do our best to reach people and see them restored. I want you to feel comfortable and invite your family and your friends. Invite people. Invite people. Love them because we're going to love them. We're going to love them back. To the best of our ability, we're going to love them like Jesus does. Come on, folks, sing. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. For all of you that are part of Grace Church that were not invited to come here, how were you received? How were you received? Were you loved? Did somebody reach out to you? We're going to do the same. We're going to do the same. Come on, Grace Church. Somebody talk to God about it right now. Somebody pray about it right now. Come on, folks. Come on. Somebody reach heavenward. Oh, God, sing, folks, sing. Come on, Grace Church, somebody open your heart. Open your mind. Open your arms. The gospel is truly for whosoever will. It's truly for whosoever will in the name of Jesus. <laughs>